few days ago, actually about a couple of weeks ago, uh, someone called at the CID and says, look, sir, I'm quitting. He says, don't ask me why. So I'm quitting. He gave his name and hung up. It's a different approach. <laughs> you know, I, I just wonder why people make such decisions and then the way they call, you, they call you as to what they had in mind. And then I said to myself, well, could this happen to any one of us here? Could I myself call, let's say, the, someone in the office as I'm quitting? You know, what's, what makes you sure that you won't be acting likewise? Others have... In fact, quite a few have. You know, I was thinking about as to how foolish sometimes we are when we make decisions. We don't think ahead of time. We don't quite calculate the, the cost, as the Bible says, and then we do it. You see, brethren, ever since the Spirit has come to the church, that's one thought we should have in mind and ask ourselves what makes us sure that we are in God's church? And what makes us sure that we are sure of it? In other words, this man, I don't think he had measured the cost. I don't even think he was perhaps converted. I don't know. But most of the time, you see, we make decisions and we don't realize that sometimes foolish decisions are at the root of bitterness, at the root of anger against someone, or not agreeing with someone. You know, for these years I've been in the church too, I've seen friends come and go. I've seen people with very foolish reasons to quit. And I've seen later on people who came back in a very repentful attitude, which is a commendable thing to do. So my question to you, I do have my title, by the way. <laughs> what makes you sure that you are in the church of God? Is there anything that will happen in your life? Marriage, divorce, death, losing a job? That will make you change your mind and quit. Those are questions, real questions. Is there anything in the church that could happen, a death or perhaps something dramatic, which will make you doubt that this is God's church? You see, brethren, we don't realize that, but our lives are a compilation or grouping of decision-making events. The first thing you do in the morning, you make decisions. The last thing you do at night, you make decisions. You, you are not quite sure that those decisions are necessarily right or wrong. That's why we say that be sure you keep close to God. Ask God to help you. Ask God to decide for you. Ask God to lead you. 
indeed, making decisions, believe it or not, it's one of the hardest things in life. Sure, there are light decisions, I know. But most of the time, our decisions are not as light as you think they are. The first thing you do in the morning, for instance, you decide how your day is going to be. That's important. It depends what priorities you give to your day. In a way, if you think well enough, life is full of decisions which govern your life, direct your life, your friendship, your relationship with other people. And then we are not quite ready to meet the challenges of life. Life is a challenge. I remember a time ago, ago, Mr. Armstrong would say, if you all left me, I'll stay in the church. I'll finish the work. That was a decision. He was sure of it. Not pretty, pretty hard to see everyone leave and you're all by yourself and still go on with the work. That takes courage, that takes decision, that also makes conviction. And I think some of us, we don't have that type of conviction in the church. We let things around us, we let circumstances, losses, and perhaps misfortunes in our lives turn us away from the big picture, as Mr. Meredith often says. We we lose that real importance of the big picture. We don't realize life is a matter of cause and effect. That's true. You don't have to be a philosopher to realize, look, if you let something drop, it's going to fall. Likewise, if you feel, as you heard in the sermonette, have a, your mind with negative approach, negative thinking, you're bound to be negative. You're bound to see everything black. On the other hand, if you have the courage to think as Christ wants us to think, in a positive way, the right way, God way, in a way, then things somehow follow the right pattern and we don't quite easily discourage. The ability to make decisions, brethren, it is not as simple as you think it is. And that's a danger. Often now we don't take it seriously. We don't realize that even though it might not be as important to us, it could be very, very, very Dramatic and perhaps even drastic. You know, I've said before in my classes, so long as you have not expressed your desires verbally, no one knows. So So long as you haven't said what you have in mind, no one knows what you have in mind. But as soon as you open your mouth, then right away you are the slave of what you're going to say. Good or bad, good or bad, it's true. And that's something perhaps that most of us don't realize. Even in our speeches or the way of talking, we don't pay attention because we are choosing words. We're choosing ideas. We're choosing perhaps sides. And perhaps we are also making something break or make. Now, everyone knows, of course, the the basis of the Bible is love. How would you define love? There it is. See, you are 
having your own ideas. How does the Bible define love? And then how do you reconcile the two together? Let's start with 1 John chapter 4. It's a basics. 1 John chapter 4, Christ said to John, he says, and this is love. Not that we loved God, look at this one, not that you decided to come to the church or you love God, but that he loved us first. And he sent his son to be the proposition for our sins. Now that's the starting point. You did not choose to come to the church. You did not actually choose the church. Let's continue first of all. The basis of all choices, therefore, should be based upon the Bible, upon this love we're talking about. Just for a moment, think about it. Now, I, I do this often time because I have problems like you. I have good days, bad days like you. But then I said to myself, how did Christ do every morning on earth? He had God's mind, God's power, God's conviction, yet he faced the world as hostile as our world. He faced enemies. He didn't give up. He didn't say, I'm quitting. He knew why he came, and that's something which we don't always know. And he had decided that he will never depart again. That he will never turn away. You know, that's really the secret. Christ saw and he knew ahead of time the sufferings. He knew how much he could take as human beings. But I think he had a surprise coming when he became a human being. He saw how rotten the human mind could be. How Satan could even tempt the way Satan did. But he did not change sides, did he? He did not change his mind. He knew the reason he came. Do you? Do you know the reason why you were called? He was convinced of it. Are you? He knew that nothing could shake him. You and I, we were baptized, we believed this thing, and we accepted the challenge. Yet some of us left or quit. Why? Why this man who called, he says, I'm quitting. I won't even give any reason for it. Could be many reasons you cannot quite understand, but all I want to be sure that this will not happen to you or to me. That every time you have something bothering you, get down on your knees. Ask God to open your eyes and to help you understand. Not your way, but his way. You know, in the ministry we hear, God understands. That's the poorest reason. Because he does, but you don't. And the way he understands is not the way you understand. And that's something very simple, isn't it? Yet, we do use excuses like that to make the wrong decisions. I repeat, Decision-making is the most important thing in our lives because it 
makes us or breaks us. He makes us get close to God or just part away. As members of God's church, all of us, let's ask the question, what makes us sure that we are safe? Safe in the church, safe with our decisions, safe that we won't let Satan or anything distract us or turn us away. So those are the questions should preoccupy our minds. Those are the questions we should ask not only if something happens to someone else, but, but so that it won't happen to us. You see, you and I, we received God's Spirit. How did we receive it? Because we believe what Peter said in Acts chapter 2. Let's turn to it. Acts chapter 2. It's the same message as Christ gave in Mark chapter 1 verse 14. When he came, he says, repent. There it is. That was the first condition we were given. That's the first commission Christ had in preaching. In Mark first verse 14, it says, repent and believe the gospel. Now here, Peter says, Acts 2.37, he says, men, says, and brethren, says, here's what you should, when he preached his sermon, he said, people say, well, what should we do? Verse 38, Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized. You did. You paid attention to it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we did. And here is the reason why, for remission of our sins. And then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something we did. We're not looking anymore for baptism. We have been baptized. But you see, once a decision was made, did we ever come back to this promise, as John says, remember the way you were called? And do you remember as to what makes us decide to be baptized? That's a starting point. Some of us, you see, had selfish reasons to ask to be baptized. I'm sorry to say, but that's true. Some of us had private reason, selfish, but something more, because you wanted to gain something. And perhaps that's the reason why the baptism, or let's say the Holy Spirit, did not quite enter in you. I don't know. You know, and God knows. All I know that if you believe in this, if I believe in this, if I believe that, yes, Peter is right, and Peter knew what he was talking about, if I repent, I receive God's Spirit, then I should do what Christ did. Never turn away. No matter what happens, never turn away. Never give up. Well, Churchill said, don't ever give up. Never, never, never. That's it. If a man in the world can do, why can't we? Especially our reason is much more deeper than his. For him, for Churchill, was a fighting. Great fighting. He, he never, never wanted to give up. Why can't we in God's church with God's spirit say the same thing and feel the same thing and, and act the same thing? That never, never, never we should give up no matter what happens. I don't know if I will ever know this man's reason. You don't have to, I don't have to. But you should know and you should try to know 
If you are 100% sure, or if you too can sometimes doubt, for what reasons? A moment ago I said that Christ is the one who called us. Let's turn to it. John 15. John 15, verse 16. You know, those things we have heard so often, we just uh, take them for granted. Imagine, creator of the world, of the whole universe, is saying us, John 15, 16, you did not choose me. Strange, isn't it? I chose you. Wait a moment. Where are you? Who am I? Who are we that Christ will be choosing us? If we understood the depth of this sentence here alone, we can never quit. But the fact remains that we are not always convinced. Christ is the one who called us. He says, I chose you and appointed you. That means I give you a job. That you should go and bear fruit. Now that's what the reason why we are called. We are not just called because of the fact uh, he chose us, but I just fold up my arms and wait. No, we have to bear fruit. Some of the reasons why we don't continue because we don't bear fruit. And he says, and then Christ said, and your fruit should remain. It is not a question of once or twice. It's a continual progress. As Peter says, you know, grow in grace and knowledge. And then he goes on again. He says, and whatever you ask, imagine, once he says that I chose you, that you have to bear fruit, he says, whatever you ask. Now why this promise comes over here? He says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. That one is fantastic promise. Look, that verse alone, and Christ doesn't love, lie, like, I mean, doesn't lie. He said, look, if you ask God anything in my name, you will do it. But see what comes before that. He shows you that you bear fruit. I remember Mr. Armstrong, Herbert Armstrong, there was a one, one verse he would say, John 6, 44. I know it by heart. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That was his famous quotation all the time. Because it's true. Because he wanted to remind us that God the Father is the one who called us. And then, once again, after Christ says no one can come unless the Father calls, look at the promise. Just like the previous verse, there's a promise. And I will raise him up at the last day. See, brethren, we go lightly on these verses. We don't meditate. We read the Bible. After reading the Bible, after even meditating, we don't believe it. We don't use those sentences saying, well, wait a moment. God knows his way, not my way. And God has promised to raise me up the last day. God has promised to give me whatever I need, I really need, if I ask in his name. So those are the, the things we need to know. If we have this attitude, we won't have the, the attitude of the man who will say, I quit. I don't have to explain why. I believe he couldn't even explain why. I couldn't, if I took the Bible and we discussed 
he would be checkmated in a way. But he didn't, he was coward enough not to face it. And sometimes we act that way. Christ says that if we believe in him, as you see, we have the eternal law, promise of eternal life. He called you and me to succeed, not to fail. That's another safe, shall I say, assurance. I know everyone who was here are called, have been called not to fail. If Christ knew that you're going to fail, he would not have called you. That's true. The very fact Christ is calling us, he knows we can do it. But now, of course, now we have to do our part. So be sure that, you see, when you are called, and you are, you know you're called, don't ever think of failure. Don't ever think of quitting. Satan will do everything he can. You know, he tried the first thing he did with Christ. He tried to just trick Christ, offer him the world, the kingdoms of the world. Of course, he was losing his time, but it's a lesson for all of us. Satan, after your baptism, or after your baptism, you will have lots of temptations. He will offer you many, many things which will perhaps want to turn back. Even after so many years in the church, and you saw what happened. People left. Because they did not have this assurance that, look, if I stay to the trunk of the tree and do my share, God will never, never forsake me. Our promise is, was an eternal promise because God's promise is also eternal promise, eternal life. Uh, oftentimes in our sermons we have spoken about the church. What is the church? I know, we have the answers, we have the book, but, but to you, what is the church? Look around. And then, look, some of us have more, some of us have less. Some of us are talented more, and some of us are less. So what is the church? The church is the, the ensemble, or the grouping, or the whole of what we are. This. So we look at each other. If there is something weakness or weak in our body, try to help. And not to criticize. If we criticize the church, we are criticizing ourselves. Yes, we have different members, it's true. But look what Paul said in First Corinthians chapter 12. We know it. He's giving you a very precise example as to what the church is and what the body is. We know what the body is. I know what my body is. But do you look at the church as you look at your body? In other words, we grow older. We get perhaps weaker. But the fact remains that there is something in the body, the Spirit of Christ, that will not change. The Spirit of Christ which keeps us alive and will until the end, is always the same. That spirit of Christ is what makes the church survive and the church exist and the church play its role. You remember what Christ said? He called so that we can bear fruit. You cannot bear fruit unless the 
body is working together. The church is the body of Christ. It says, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12. The body is one. Well, I look around, we are not one, are we? I don't see one, I see whole body. Being many, says, are one body. So also is the Christ Christ. That's where we fail oftentimes. We see the weaknesses of people. We see the shortcomings. We don't realize that's part of us. We have to help each other. We have to encourage each other. We have to actually turn the other face if need be. And that's where we fail. In the body of Christ, we each have different roles. I don't think it's wise to compare yourself with someone else. I'm sure there's not. Yet we do. What is jealousy? Jealousy means that you wish you had what someone else has. Or be what someone else be. Jealousy will separate you from the body of Christ. What's criticism? It means that you are not happy with it. You would like to just have what something someone else has. In other words, every time you are criticizing, you are seeing wrong, you are hurting the body, and you are not being part of the body. By so doing, you are outside of the body. You are not part of the body as we should be. Envy, jealousy, those are the things which keep you away from the church. Those are the things which make you one day say, perhaps, I hope not, I quit. It is, that's what it is. Those human tendencies, jealousy, envy, regrets. You know, it's so foolish because when you look around, what is, what is this world? How many years do we have? And then what do we really get from this world, what can we take with us? Paul tells you, nothing. So says, we came empty, we go back empty. The, the fact is that there is nothing in the world that should be so important for you to take away from the eternal promise God made for you and you made to God. Those are the way to think, you see. That's what I call the right choice. Deep choice. Big decisions. Oftentimes, my, my counseling with people, they say, well, I, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have much. Do you think that Christ called you because you don't have much? That you don't have much to offer? Think of it. I don't care how old, how young, how smart, how dumb, if you want to say it that way. You have something to offer. And that's what Christ wants you to just think of and just do something with it. In Matthew chapter 25, another basic scripture, those are all basic scriptures here. Every one of them pertains to the kingdom. Now look, to me this is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. It gives me all the encouragement, all the hope, and I know that Christ knows what he's doing because, look, I look at myself, I see all my mistakes, all my faults, all my shortcomings. I might 
compare myself to someone else, with someone else with you, which is foolishness. But look, look what Matthew 25 verse 14 says. The kingdom of heaven, by the way, Matthew speaks of kingdom of heaven. The other disciples speak of kingdom of God. He says, it's like a man traveling to a far country, that's Christ, symbolizing, called his servants, that's you and me, and delivered them his good goods, whatever his goods are. But look, to me, the secret is verse 15. That's a secret. Not question of giving five to one, two to another one, one to other one. That's not. But why five, two, and one? That's a question. Now, that's a good question because it will bring, in my mind, jealousy. Why can't I, be, can't I have five? Why can't I have two? Why do I have one? The answer is each according to his ability. There it is. From that moment on, you're safe. You don't have to be jealous. You don't have to be envying anyone else. You don't have to compare yourself with anyone else because God is expecting of you what you can give. If God expects all I can give and nothing more, I mean at least, then I'm safe. You'll find this uh, parable here. Let's take the Luke version because there's something also different here. Luke 19 is a parallel type of a parable. Here we read, now he says, the, they heard the disciples heard these things, and then Christ spoke them in parable, because he was in Jerusalem and so forth, and they thought, look at this, Christ is speaking in parable, and about the kingdom, and the disciples thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. That's why I'm taking this this version here. Now, in a way, that's what we are doing, isn't it? That's what we have been doing since I came in the church. And every time we expected the kingdom, the kingdom to come, and hasn't so far. So, in a way, Disciples were in the same shoes here. So they went to Christ. They said, look, what's happening? He said to them, verse 12, Luke 19, 12, he said, a certain nobleman, that's again he portrayed, went into a far country, that's to heaven, ascended, to receive for himself a kingdom, which Christ did, and to return. Another proof that Christ will return. Yet today, most Christians, 60%, I understand, don't believe Christ's return. Now here, in that simple parable here, in a way, he says, he went to, the, to heaven to come back. So, let's continue, I'm just skipping a few verses here. And then, so when he returned, having received the kingdom, again, repeating, received the kingdom, then he commanded the servants to just tell him what they did with what they received. Here each one of them had received in this version one mine, mine or whatever it is, or talent, doesn't matter. See, here right away you see one of them produced ten, one of those them produced five, and just like the other parable, one who did not produce anything, he had all kinds of excuses. 
There it is. That's how you fail. The moment you begin to ask questions as to why you did not do it and justify yourself, and oftentimes your reasoning are foolish, have no have no ground. Look at it. Let me show it to you. So, when he came back and he asked the question, the man who had received 10 and so forth, they all received the reward. And then the foolish man, and some of us are that way, because the first two who are given here reward, they were praised. God says, look, you're going to receive so much more. But what I'm interested in is the other one. Verse 20. This man here, and this could be the reason why some of us fail. He says, here's your mind. Why? Christ gave us something, a talent. He says, do something with it. And you'll be rewarded. And you somehow, for whatever reason, you don't do with it. You just wait for Christ and you're so happy because, look, I did not lose your money. Here it is. And you might have all kinds of excuses, all kinds of reasons. He says, which I kept, verse 20. Luke 19, verse 20. Which I kept and put away in a handkerchief. Why? Verse 21. I feared all through the Bible says, don't be afraid. If God is with you, don't fear. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of God, of Christ? And there's your fear because of his own human carnal reasoning. Because, you see it is. He feared because. Because of what? Because you are austere man. What makes you think Christ is austere? See, from that moment on, you have all kinds of thoughts, wrong thoughts. Once you turn away from God, brethren, your human reasoning will make you fail. And that's what happens. That's the reason why some of us quit. The man's reasoning here is totally wrong. If he's feeling God because he's austere, he's wrong. You collect what you did not deposit well. Could be, but that's not the reason. God loves us. Remember, His love. And says, you reap what you did not sow. What poor reasons to quit. If I have a master who has this power, I would not fear him. I would be very thankful because he's actually, he can help me. And Christ told him exactly that. Look, he says, verse 22. Christ said to him, out of your mouth, I will judge you. you know, the man himself is judging. He says, you wicked servant. You knew. If that's the way you thought. I was austere and so forth. Why then did you not do something with the money? It is, do something with it. Don't hide it in a handkerchief. You see, brethren, that's the same principle again. In the church of God, we have various talents. And we need it. And we have various people in various positions, each according to their ability. It all depends how much we do with what we have. Again, I remember Mr. Armstrong who said, God will not expect you to give what you don't have. It's true. 
Likewise, whatever talents, whatever our jobs, God knows that we can do it. If we fail, it's because we are not doing what we are supposed to be doing. That's the reason why some people quit. That's that's the reason why some people give up. Look at the first couple. Two, 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 three is Mr. Armstrong's spoke. You know, it, it was interesting because I listened to it, as I mentioned before. I learned a lot. Even though I knew there was always something new. Something, maybe one sentence. But what was the problem with the first couple? What did they complain? God had given them everything. Paradise to live in. You don't even have to work for it. Everything was given to them. Animals tamed. I mean, everything you want. One thing God told them was not good for them. See, he even told them it's not good for you because he says, if you eat thereof, you will die. Look at the human reasoning again. We are told the penalty and yet we still would like to just do our ways or Satan's way. Here they believed Satan. Did they believe Satan because of the fact they had everything except eternal life? And Satan knew it. So Satan, in a way, lured them that way. Look, God is hiding from you the best. We just read God is love. We just read God is calling us for a purpose. We just read he wants us to be in his kingdom. Now you say, Adam and Eve didn't know. Oh, yes, he did. I'm sure that when God created the first couple, as we know, he taught them. He told them what the purpose of life is. He, oh, he also told them what sin is, disobedience. So what happens? They surrendered. You know the story. The other day I was reading Hebrews 11. It's a fascinating chapter. Because if you read Hebrews 11, everyone involved goes to very difficult trial. In whose shoes would you like have, would you like to have been in Hebrews 11? All these people mentioned. Some of them were killed, sown into, a, I don't know, parts suffered in every respect. I mean, which one of these heroes do you envy? If you were in their shoes, any one of them, would you have given up? Depends upon your attitude now. If you give up now with what little you have or you don't have, you would have given up long ago if you were in anyone's shoes in Hebrews 11. Think of it. Why do you think that Paul speaks of these things? Why do you give it to, to, to give us in such clear way describing everyone's suffering and how all of them, which is very interesting, died without receiving the promise? That's something else, brethren, which we don't quite understand. When we die without receiving the promise or whatever we expect it to, we think that's the end. No, that's not the end. That's the beginning. If we have done our share, death becomes the beginning. 
Therefore, see all these people in Hebrews 11, they started a new life, which would be reality, let's say, soon. But the fact is that, you see, these people did not give up. They didn't call saying, I quit. And probably if they had quit, they wouldn't have been massacred. That's possible. But then you would have lost the eternal life. In Matthew chapter 13, Christ spoke of another parable. People wonder why Christ spoke in parable. Again, it's because if God has given you the wisdom of his spirit, you will understand what the parable is for. It's to hide, let's say, the meaning, the true meaning of those who do not, who are not called at this moment. So in this parable, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, now look at the way Christ is describing. And ask yourself, which one, where I am? He says, when a man, uh, Matthew 13, verse uh, 18, therefore says here this parable, when anyone hears the word, he's explaining now, he gave the parable before, he's explaining, hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand, and some of us perhaps have not understood. Some of us perhaps had not really grasped. I don't know. God is judge. Then the wicked one says, comes and snatches away, what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. Ask yourself, did I receive the truth by the wayside? Is it too late to change? It's never too late. It's never realize, go back, repent, and go on. God will bless you. God will give you understanding. Then the other group was, verse 20, to receive this on stony places, and Christ explains, uh, this is he who hears the word, immediately receives receives it with joy. I've met people, you know, especially in the college students, and they're so happy, they discover the truth, they're so happy, they want to be baptized right away. Not exciting, because they took all the classes, and they saw it, they they thought they understood, but there was no depth so they received it with joy. Then what happens? But there was no root. Verse 21. But they could not endure. Only only for a while. What happens? In their lives, in your life, in my life, tribulation comes, persecution, persecution arises, and we stumble. Again, I don't know what this man had as a problem. But he had gone through this process of baptism. And I don't know which group he was. I do know that he was not in the last group. He was in those groups, perhaps he received with joy, turned away, or temptation, whatever. So you see, we don't want to be in that group. And we don't have to be. None of us here who is baptized has to be in that group. None of us here has to say, if you come to that point, get down on your knees and ask God to help. Ask a minister to guide you. Ask anyone who wants to help because God called you. Remember? You did not choose him. He chose you. 
So, the last group is verse 23. Received the good ground. The good ground is the ground which accepts, which recognizes, who does what God is telling him, whether you agree or not. You know, sometimes I don't agree the way God does things. But I know he he knows better. And that's what counts. Let him do it. If there's a change to be made in the church of God, and that's another famous statement of Mr. Armstrong, he says, if there's something to be changed in in church, God will do it. He will do it. Let him act his own way. That's where we go wrong. We criticize. We turn away. Just like these foolish people looking elsewhere what they could find where they are. So the last group was they find a good ground who hears the word, verse 23, understands it. There it is. Do you understand? Do you make an effort to understand? Do you ask God to help you understand? Do you really do what you're supposed to do? It sometimes takes sacrifice. Who indeed says, here's the fruit and produces fruits. Now from that Moment on, we come back to Matthew 23. Some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how much you produce because God does not expect you to give more than you give. So don't envy the one who can give one hundred. But be sure that if you call to give sixty, fifty, twenty, that you give just that much, if not more. A moment ago I said that decision-making is the key. Now suppose you made a promise, and we all made a promise in coming to God's church, and then you forget your promise. I'm talking now on a different level. All right? What do you do? If you know, and you know that you know God has called you for a purpose, that's serious, And God has told you something, brother, don't don't find any excuse to turn away from it. I'll give you one example, a surprising example. 1 Kings, chapter 13. To me, this is one of those interesting examples. I will just go through it. I won't read every every word here in this chapter. But here in 1 Kings, chapter 13, there's a man of God who receives a mission from God. Look, just like you, we have a job to do. Here the man was told by God to do certain things. And the man knew that God told him, look, don't turn right, don't turn left. You have to accomplish this mission. And don't, don't even stop. That's the gist of it. So as you know, if you read the stress of the story, there was a fight and so forth and so forth and he even, the man, this, this, this prophet was called to actually be used as to heal the king who was sick. Verse 6, that's where I want to start. Now here's a prophet who was told by God, don't turn left, don't turn right, go straight ahead until you finish the mission. That's an order. He understood, he knew it. He was 100% sure because he says, look, I will not to the king. He says, I will not stop. 
Verse 6, the king said, look, please entreat the favor of the Lord. He says, your God, and pray for me. The man did it. And God answered the prayer. And then the king asked the prophet to stay with him, to eat with him. What was the king, uh, prophet's answer? But the man of God, verse 8, he said to the king, if you were to give me half of your kingdom, half of your house, that's pretty big, I should not go in with you. Now, this prophet knew what he was doing. In other words, was he sure of himself? Yes. He's turning down king's offer, half of his household. He says, I would not go with you, nor would I eat eat bread with you or drink water in this place. Why? Because God had told him, don't stop to the job. That's pretty strong, isn't it? What happens? This could be your example and my example. Look at the assurance he has. He's turning down king's offer because God told him, go and finish the job. Verse 14. But there was a man of God also in the same place. And he heard the story. I'm paraphrasing. So the second prophet comes to the first. He says, are you the man of God who came from Judah? Verse 14. First Kings chapter 13. The man says, yes, I am. Then the second prophet says, Come to my house with me and eat bread. Now, wait a moment. <laughs> this prophet turned down the king's offer. Why should he accept the second prophet's offer? He said, Come to my home. Verse 16, the first prophet is still strong. I cannot, this says, return with you, go with you. Neither can I eat bread and drink with you in this place. For I've been told, verse 17, look how sure he is. That's you and that's me. I've been told by the word of God, you shall not eat or drink, nor return by going by the the way you, you came. There is where Satan enters, you see. Verse 18. The second prophet says, I too am a prophet. Maybe he was. It's not the question. The question is that the first prophet had received the mission from God. He was sure he was going to do it. Nothing would stop him. So what? If another one comes, he may be a prophet or not. So, the second prophet says, says I too am a prophet. An angel told, spoke to me. He says, bring him back with you in your house. He may eat bread and drink, water. What is the last sentence here? He was lying. See, there's your trouble. You don't know, brethren, in this world what happens. If you're this convinced and you know what to do, nothing should actually just shake you. You know the story you can read. The first prophet died. So did the second too later on. But that's not the 
important. That's not my subject. My subject is, you see, sometimes you can be so convinced and you might be sure and then Satan will enter into the picture as he did with Christ. He, he of course, did not succeed as he may do with you and I hope he never succeeds with us, with us either. So, examine yourselves. Ask yourself, is there anything that will shake me? That can make me turn away from the promise I made to God? Is there anything that could really make me say I was wrong by following Christ's invitation? You see, Christ did give us a warning in Matthew chapter 7. Turn to it. It's very important. It pertains to you and it pertains to me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Sometimes we skip those important verses. The one who does the will is a sermon. What is the will of God? We have heard many sermons. You see, if you do the will of God, then you're safe. You don't have to be afraid of being seduced by Satan. Verse 22. I don't like the word many, but it's here. It says many. I wish the, man, the word many were there. It says many will come, it says, in that day, saying, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out in your name? Don't wonders in your name? Christ knows what he's, what he's talking about. You see, these things happened. And it will happen again. Then I will declare in verse 23, he says, I've never known you. Depart from you. You who practice lawlessness or iniquity or keep living in sin. And then he makes it very clear again. Therefore, he says, whoever hears these words of mine, verse 24, and does them, producing fruit again, I would like him, he says, to a wise man. Brethren, how many sermons we have had about wisdom? About the Proverbs. Sometimes we don't have enough wisdom to realize, look, what God says is true and stick to it. We don't pay attention to it. So if we are wise, we should know what God expects of us and do is no matter what. This prophet I'm talking about, he stuck until pretty end, end, but he failed. I wish he hadn't, but he failed. Some of us, again, come pretty close to the end. We fail. Christ says, Therefore, says, whoever hears these words and does them, I will like him like, like a wise man who built a house, you know the rest, rains fail, the winds blew, the floods came, but the house, he says, verse 25, was founded strong, didn't, didn't move. Why? Because it was on the rock. The church is on the rock. Rock is the Christ. The Christ who saves us. And then he, he goes again, shows the both sides of the picture. He says, everyone, he says, who hears these words, 
does not do them is a foolish man. And then he explains again, rains came, the floods came, the winds blew. What happened? Great was the fall of the house. See, all this, what is it? Decision making. In each case, you have to make a decision and so, and decide where you want to stay. You want to stay with your promise, go all the way through, or give up. Think of it. You say, well, how do I know I'm making the right decision? Get down on your knees. Open the Bible. And then ask yourself, what I want, is it selfish? That will help you a lot. Oftentimes, what makes you unhappy or perhaps disagree with God or God's ministry or your friends perhaps is because of uh, you're selfish. So be sure that selfishness is out of the picture when you make a decision. Ask yourself by disobeying God and pleasing yourself how much do you gain and how much do you lose? You hear about the big picture. You have a big picture, the one in front of you, you lose that thing and you go after foolishness. And that's what life is about. You're here and tomorrow you're not there. But the fact is that, you see, if you measure the loss and the gain, you become either wise or fool. And that's what Christ is telling us around here. Okay, let's go a bit further. Genesis chapter 13. Now here's a good lesson of not being selfish. You don't realize, but oftentimes you do things, you think you're doing all right, you think you're helping, you think you are not being selfish, but you are. Here we have the example of two patriots of God. Abraham and Lot. Look, there are both of them, of them loved by God. And I, I would just I'll skip the details, but you see, what happened? They are together, and Abraham and Lot, and they are blessed. They are blessed, verse 6, verse 30, chapter 13, verse 6. Now the land was not able to support them because they are so very rich. Boy, what a, what a way of being rich. There's no place because they are rich. They're blessed. So great their possessions. So there's a strife. There's a danger. There's Satan the, who enters into picture. Here they are, in a way, in disagreement. The workers, the, not the patriots, but least the, the workers, because they are rich and they are jealous of each other. So there was strife between herdsmen of Abraham's and Lot's men. So what happened? Uh, verse 8 is the secret to me. Now this is where you and I fail sometimes. Abraham did not have to give in. Abraham did not have to say, okay, Lot, you know who I am? You know God called me first. You know God Tell me that told me that he's going to bless all the generations because of me. He didn't say all that. It was true. 
whether a lot knew or not, not a question. Abraham, who was first called, verse 8 tells Lot, please just separate from me. If you take left, then I turn go right. If you go right, I go left. That's not selfish, is it? That's what we're talking about. Oftentimes, we don't have this attitude. We want to be the first to choose. We don't realize that perhaps we are the great, greater, or whatever it is. Let the small one choose. You know the story. I hope you know the story. Verse 10. Verse 10, Lot lifted his eyes, saw the plain of Jordan. It was watered, beautiful, rich. And later on was destroyed, of course, by Satan. So he chose what used to be Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened? You know the story. Lot left, lost what he had. Abraham did not. This is a very true story in our lives too. I've seen in the church of God some of us make such decisions. Taking, taking the big pie, the big piece of a pie. And somehow it doesn't work that way. Take the smaller one, the humble one. You know, there's a proverb that says glory precedes uh, no, humility precedes, precedes glory. That's it. Humility precedes glory. I'm translating from the French I have in mind. That's why it is. The glory is God. God's glory. Before you come to that glory of God, you need humility. And that's what you see, actually, what happens to Abraham and Okay, what did God tell our forefathers? When people came out of Egypt and God gave them the Ten Commandments, what happened? Do you think people received it with joy? Do you think people were so happy to have God tell them? Those are not silly questions because look, God spoke to them in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Deuteronomy 5, and look at the people's attitude. Verse 24. Deuteronomy 5, verse 24. Here's uh, Moses talking. And you said that surely the Lord of our God has shown us his glory, his greatness. We have heard his voice from the midst of fire. Look, Moses is telling people, look, this is what happened. We have seen it this day, says that God speaks with man. Therefore, he says, why should we die, tell told people? For this great fire will come on us. So, what did he say? If we hear the voice of the Lord, they are telling Moses, we will die. So, they tell Moses, verse 27, this is the attitude of people who are afraid of God. We don't have to fear God. We know that God is love. They said, you go near the Lord, that he may, he may speak to you. And then you come to me, I'm paraphrasing, then we will hear what you say. You see, brethren, 
people were afraid of God rather than trust God and rejoice that they can really hear God's words. Our forefathers failed. Some of us are failing, others not. The question is, brethren, how much do you value the truth you have received? You know, we are human beings, we just want to know how much is for me. Alright, how much? How much is the value of the kingdom? How much was the value of the kingdom? As far as this man is concerned, he says, I quit. He didn't understand, did he? If you have such thoughts, how much do you value? Matthew 13, verse 44. Christ says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. A man found it, and for joy, I just put the circle on the joy, he goes and sells everything to buy that field. That's the value. In this verse, you see, there are two important words, joy and all. He's not hiding anything back. He sells everything because he knows that nothing he has which is more valuable than the kingdom of heaven. Verse 46, or verse 45, that's 45, 46. He says, the man who found pearl of great price and once sold all, not part of it. Sometimes we want to hide part of it just for rainy days. All antibodies. You see, brother, once you have this understanding, then we know what prophecy is. Then we know what's happening. I know, as you heard in the sermon, and as you hear in the sermons, by Mr. Mehdi and others, there's one thing sure. We are heading towards catastrophe. That's for sure. Whether we are from the 10th floor or 9th floor or 6th floor, the bottom is not too far. Okay. So what's our attitude? And that's exactly what the sermon is about. We have to make a choice. Either we do our way and fall, or God's way and suffer, if need be, I don't know. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, Deuteronomy 15, a warning which our forefathers heard, a warning which you and I have heard time and again. And because that's all about, that's all there is about. In this world, it's a consequence, truth and consequences. You make a decision, there's an action. Here God says, chapter 30, 30, Verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. God says, I've set before you life and good, death and evil. Choice. That's a very simple choice. Satan will do everything to convince you that you're making the wrong decision by doing what God says. God is not going to just force you. God is giving, is giving you a choice. And that's important. God could force every one of us if he wanted to. But he has chosen not to. God has given freedom of choice. That's the greatest gift we have. Think of it. The freedom of choice is a, because, you see, 
You could never say God forced me to do anything. He could, but he has left the choice with you. He says, I co- I've commanded you, verse 16, Deuteronomy 30, today to have the Lord your God between the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments. Look at the conditions, his statutes, his judgments, and we know how the difference. That you may live and multiply, and the Lord God will bless you in the land which you possess. Brethren, this is a, in a way, physical land. It's going to be turn, turning into spiritual land after resurrection. But he says, if your heart, verse 17, turns away and you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods, serve them, what does it say? Verse 18. Then he says, you shall surely perish. And this God is telling us what's going to happen, what will happen. We are facing today a catastrophe as far as the world is concerned. But on the other hand, we have God, the Father, who has promised to protect us, to be with us. Even though we may suffer, we know that the end is safe, the end is sure, and God does not lie. So what is it? some suffering, let's say, temporarily compared to eternal life. What type of a difficult choice is that? What makes us turn away saying, I quit? Look what you're going to choose between. He says, if you turn away, then he says, you should not prolong your days, verse 18, in the land which you cross over the Jordan. That's partly what it was, what it's going to be. And then it says, verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witness that I've said before you again, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore says, look, as a father who loves, choose life. How often you have told your children what to do? See, God has given us freedom, but he tells us what to do. Choose life. That you be blessed. Look what way where we are today. You know, I don't know how much time we have, any one of us or all of us in the, as a church. At this present time, the country is trying to just elect a president in this country here. And people have to make a choice. But I wish that people would really do what they did some time ago. Ask God's guidance. That let God decide. Let God handle. Most of us have excuses. There's nothing easier in this life than to find an excuse. That's free. Always pleases you. I don't think you've ever given an excuse, excuse which will displease you. But here, let me just tell you before closing a few examples. All people who heard it who understood, but they did not pursue. They didn't want to go all the way. Luke chapter 9. Excuses. Verse 57. Luke 9, 57. Night happened that as Christ and disciples journeyed, journeyed, someone came to him, not his, one coming to Christ. 
So Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Empty promise. Because he's not counted the cost. He has not paid attention to it. Don't make a promise unless you know you can follow through. So see, this man, he, want, he, he wanted to follow Christ. When Christ says, look, I don't have a place to sleep. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, and so forth. I don't have any place. The Bible doesn't say what happened. It's, it's obvious. The man left. The pressure is too high. Then Christ went to someone. He said, follow me. Again, all this man had to do, follow Christ. He said, Lord, he says, let me first go and bury my father. It's a good excuse. But the man didn't know what priority means. So those are the things which make us lose the sight, the good sight. Nothing wrong with burying your father, but get the priorities right. To know the one, Christ said, follow me. Verse 61. He says, but let me first go and say goodbye to my friends. There's your danger. You go back, you have lost. You know, time and again, Paul says, don't turn back. Don't look back. And in the Bible, we see examples, after one after the other, don't turn back. Once you make a decision, you're going forward to follow Christ, nothing should stop you and me. That's the secret. And God will always be helping us. Peter says, you know, First Peter chapter 5, it, be humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves, it says, under the might, mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you. That's what the promise is. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We see, we, we read those things, we read over them. When you have a difficult situation, facing a difficult solution or answer or case, just remember, God cares for you. And call on him. Verse 8, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, Satan, is like a lion. And we know that. We have seen it. And we know that God is what he says. So what, what do we do, brethren? The answer is very simple. You heard in the sermon to eyes on the goal. In one side, we may lose whatever we have today in this world. In this country here, when I first came, when I look back, some almost 60 years ago, I don't recognize the country. It wasn't the country I came and I liked. Because people were actually, in a way, kinder. People were looking for, in a way, God's ways. In, their, in some ways. People were, they believe in God. They did not kick God out of the Constitution, so to speak. That was a different world. Now we're heading toward the catastrophe. Brethren, today it's more than ever before we have to get closer to God. We have to know that those things are sure, which are prophesied, are going to happen. We have to be sure that we are not going to be shaken left and right. Because in one side, yes, 
but there is that dark. The other side is we have the kingdom of God as you heard, as God promised. You see, we have to trust God. Who are we? What are we? We are the body. What are we? Nothing much except what God can do with us, through us. If we have this type of conviction, if we have this type of understanding, if you really believe the Bible, then you will do what Mr. Armstrong said. You people leave me, you people turn away from me, I will never quit. Never, never. And you see, this is what every one of us in the Church of God should say, should believe, should act accordingly. Then we won't have people like the man who called saying he quits.